This episode of the Tech Money Podcast is sponsored by Capital Area Tax Consultants. Capital Area Tax Consultants is a virtual tax and accounting firm that specializes in helping high net worth individuals navigate the complexities of the tax code. While our team of tax pros are well-versed in all things tax, our areas of expertise include rental real estate and equity compensation. With our comprehensive tax planning services, our one goal is to help clients maximize savings and minimize their tax liability each year. At Capital Area Tax Consultants, we believe in pricing transparency and flat fees. Before engaging with us, you'll receive an upfront quote in black and white with a description of any services to be performed. This way, there are no hidden surprises. So don't wait. Reach out to us today to experience a better approach to taxes at www.capgllc.com. Again, that web address is www.capgllc.com. Welcome to the Tech Money Podcast, where the worlds of technology and personal finance collide. Hosted by certified financial planner, speaker, blogger, and self-proclaimed personal finance nerd, Malcolm Etheridge. Each episode aims to make you just a little bit smarter about your money, all from the perspective of the tech professional. Without further delay, here's your host. Hey there, listeners. Malcolm here. And on today's show, we're talking career advancement. More specifically, we're talking about organizations out there working to level the playing field in tech and increase the levels of Latinx representation in venture capital. As you can imagine, I am certainly very interested and invested in the evolution of the venture capital landscape and doing what I can to make sure that the people writing the checks are more reflective of the entrepreneurs starting companies and the people using the products and services those entrepreneurs ultimately sell. However, I am by no means an expert in this area, so I decided to call up someone who is. Cheryl Campos is the head of venture growth and partnerships at Republic, a one-stop shop for founders to raise capital from both accredited and non-accredited investors. She is focused on introducing underrepresented founders to both traditional and alternative funding sources in order to help their startups thrive. In addition to her work with Republic, Cheryl is also one of the founders of VC Familia, a community of Latinx VCs supporting current and emerging investors through collaboration. She is passionate about the intersection of finance, technology, and social impact. So with that brief introduction, welcome Cheryl Campos to the Tech Money Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Malcolm. Yeah, no, I appreciate you agreeing to do this. So Cheryl, I breezed through your resume pretty quickly in my intro. What else should I have included? I would say I break up my activities into three buckets. One, as an operator, as you mentioned, through Republic, uh, which I have been there for almost four years uh, now, which sounds kind of crazy, but I was employee number 10 and now we're over 300. So um, one uh, experience that I feel has really uh, changed how I look at the tech landscape, and we can go into that. The second role I play is a is a direct investor. So I am a scout for Lightspeed uh, and also an investment partner at the community fund. So I'm looking to back community-centric startups. Uh, and right now that includes Web3. Last but not least, I am a community builder, as you mentioned, for VC Familia. Um, you know, we started that about a year ago and quite frankly, it has thrived more than anyone had ever expected with over 250 uh, Latino VCs. And so that is something that I'm 
incredibly proud of because it shows the power of community. So those are kind of the three buckets I'd say um, really define the activities that I do day to day. And also, you're a proud New Yorker. So I actually, I, I guess that's a bit redundant, right? I've never met a not proud native New Yorker, so that part probably goes without saying. Absolutely, absolutely. I was born and raised um, in New York. Uh, have really been, lived here all my life, and so definitely something that I'm proud of. Yeah, having grown up in the D.C. area and seeing all of the change that's happening around us, it's always important for me when when I meet people that are like, oh, you're from D.C. And I'm like, and I have the birth certificate to prove it. So, like, let's let's make the distinction, here, guys. Um, but so it, I read online also as I was preparing for this, that you also model and act in addition to your work in VC and running a nonprofit organization. How do you even find the time to do it? <laughs> um, great question. I am grateful that I work in organizations that allow me to bring my full authentic self. And part yeah. of that really had to do with exploring my creative side, especially being here in New York, which is the mecca for finance and fashion. And so I asked myself, why couldn't I do both? So I started modeling after college um, and that, you know, I signed to a big agency here in New York. I started modeling for Tom Ford, Louis Vuitton, other brands. And so that led me, especially because of my friend group and uh, other opportunities that popped up into acting. And so I was also in an HBO show. I um, am SAG now, which is pretty exciting because, you know, Screen Actors Guild is, yeah. is a really important step in any actor's career. So... I've just been slowly but surely pursuing all these things. And I don't think, you know, overnight successes aren't really <laughs> overnight. So it yeah. really is about building kind of uh, what I want to see in the future, which is kind of become the reverse Ashton Kutcher, right? Do well in VC, then maybe be a full-blown actress at some point, and then kind of married it too. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, that starts uh, by laying brick by brick. As a person who also aspires to someday have a SAG card, I can completely appreciate what an achievement that actually is. Thank so uh, I get it. Um, it, it. It isn't lost on me, the the accomplishment that it is, while also having a regular full time working person <laughs> career. Yes. Right. Um, but then to that end, I also saw a quote from you that I thought was incredibly powerful. You said that whether it's on screen or in the VC community, statistically, you don't exist. Mm -hmm. Can you say a little bit more about that? Absolutely. So representation in, in venture capital alone uh, for Latinx folks is quite grim, where even just for Latinas in particular, it's about 1%. Mm -hmm. And that's being, I think, on the generous side. And so if you take that and add it to the amount of on-screen representation for Latino actors, um, I think you combine the two, and quite frankly, that's that's closer to zero. And so I firmly believe that we are at a time where being a multi-hyphenate is, you know, a source of strength. Uh, and I want to make sure that in any role, any position that I have in my career, that I'm able to bring us, the multi-hyphenates, the Latinas, the folks in the space grinding, um, to make sure that we're, mm -hmm. we're painted in a positive light and that we're really um, not just playing the game, but changing the game. Fair enough. 
So why don't you tell us about the work you do at Republic? You mentioned you started off as employee number 10 and you guys have already in four short years grown to a staff of 300 plus. What is the platform and what do you guys do? Absolutely. So that actually ties into what I had just said, where uh, we are disrupting the venture capital industry. We spun out of Angelist, mm-hmm. which is a platform for solely accredited investors. And for those of you that don't know what an accredited investor is, it's actually um, SEC regulation that states that if you have a net worth of over a million dollars or you have an annual income as a single person of over 200K, then you can invest in high risk assets like startups, um, which, as we all know, have over a 90% uh, chance of failure. And so that's something where non-accredited investors, so basically like 93% of America, did not have access to these wealth-creating opportunities. And so we spun out of Angelus so that we could bring these opportunities to everyone around the world. And I was full-time employee number 10 back in 2018, but we technically started around 2016. Um, And so it's been Mm -hmm. about a six-year journey as a whole, but we really saw our growth through... COVID actually, where there was a mix of, you know, folks understanding that private investments are something that they should have in their portfolio. I'd see that also community has become a really big growth hack for a lot of startups. And I think as a whole, people understood what we are bringing to the table. So venture capital is not the only source of capital that you can have, especially when you are growing fast, but you can also raise from Mm -hmm. anyone around the world through Republic that believes in your mission that could potentially add value as an investor. Um, And you can raise up to $5 million uh, through our platform uh, in any calendar year. So it's been really exciting to support over 600 companies at this point. uh, And we're aiming to support another 300 this year. I was going to say, I have to assume that the recent raise in the the crowdfunding ceiling from one million and change, I don't remember the exact number, to five million has only helped you guys that much more, right? Since a lot of this is done through crowdfunding. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, we like to say crowd investing because every time people say crowdfunding, they think Kickstarter and Indiegogo, <laughs> which has been something we've been mm, trying to battle against. Enough. But this is equity based, which means that you are not donating, but you're actually investing in these companies. And so our companies range from state stage. So like they have traction um, and, you know, they have revenue. Uh, and it goes all the way to Series B, Series C, or they're a little bit more mature. And that has been helped by that $5 million uh, maximum cap that was that was raised from 1.07. Well, let's go back to something you were initially saying as you were describing you guys' platform and, and the spinoff from, from under AngelList. Because actually, the accredited investor rules and the SEC's regulation around this is something we talk about pretty frequently on this show whenever we discuss the world of venture. Uh, I am torn, frankly, on where I stand between whether I think that that rule should be completely done away with or if it needs to be modified in some way. So now it's not a hundred thousand, a two hundred thousand or three hundred thousand dollar limit based on individual or, or married couple or if it the asset 
level needs to come down or whether any of those things are actually reflective of a person's investment prowess Mm -hmm. and their ability to comprehend how much risk they're taking. You said something that struck me, which was that about 90 percent of all startups fail. And we all recognize that as the the risk that we're taking if we're investing in those companies. But then also that only about 7% of America has currently access to those types of investment options because that too falls into the accredited investor population. And the question that I have after all of that buildup is, I assume I know the answer, but whether you fall on the side of everybody should have access to those same opportunities, meaning everybody should have the same opportunity to invest in the failing startups just as much as they have access to invest in the ones that do well, regardless of whether they have a higher income or higher asset total. So <laughs> I think, you know, what my answer is, but I'll, I'll elaborate. Yeah. Um, there is no crystal ball here in venture capital. Nobody knows what's going to really fail or succeed. And those stats are broad, but you can mitigate your risks by backing great founders, by being an expert in the space, by really doing all that you can to to mitigate your risk in a high risk asset class. So that's generally what happens in VC, where a lot of times there's pattern Mm -hmm. matching um, many VCs go for founders who have come out of Harvard or Stanford and they look for the pedigree checkbox, they look for the network, they look for the experience. Uh, and what ends up happening, quite frankly, is that a lot of the same founders get backed. And I think those stats are unfortunate that only 2% of female founders last year got access to VC uh, funding, which is, I think is, is uh, at this point... Uh, sobering because it was a record-breaking venture capital year uh, in terms of funding. Same thing for Latino founders in the U.S. Uh, that number actually went down last year from 1.5% to 1.2%. And so that is something where it's we see that the system in itself is broken and they are underestimating founders who do not come from those backgrounds that they want to see. And therefore, technologies that could change our entire life um, are not being funded properly. And it's that type of constraints and the fact that a lot of underrepresented founders have to stretch a dollar so far, they have to do so much with so little, that imagine if we were able to give more and invest more into these founders, well, how much more they can impact our life. And so I think Republic really allows for anyone around the world to use their different experiences, knowledge, you know, and, and expertise to support those companies with as little as $50, um, that I think could really be meaningful in moving the needle from, you know, these 2%, 1% numbers, uh, into something that's much larger. I, yeah. And that's the part that that I see as the bigger opportunity, the bigger success story in the making that, like I said, it, it just kind of keeps me me torn. Um, but from from what I gather right from your previous interviews I've read online from talking to you now, it seems like your overarching focus is on helping founders, uh, Latinx founders specifically find and raise money primarily from their own communities, like you just said 
because that's the only way that they're going to get the opportunity to bring their big ideas to life. Do you guys have any or do you have any success stories that you're particularly proud of in that space? Yeah, so that's um, just to clarify, I am making sure that everyone knows that Republic is at least an option. Uh, so mm-hmm. especially particularly underrepresented founders that are in the space. And I know several founders who didn't know that this was the case and we're going to go with predatory term sheets and mm. that they were basically against the rock and a hard place. And, uh, I was able to introduce them to Republic, uh, and they were able to raise through this mechanism of, of crowd investing. And so that's something where I've seen it time and time again, where folks think that they don't have that many options or that they mm-hmm. just have to let this, uh, startup die because everything looks so grim, but then Republic really harnesses the power of community and gives the chance for the community to come in, really decide what gets funded and what doesn't. And we have a really big, we have a really, um, firm emphasis on due diligence. So about 3% of companies that apply for Republic actually end up on the platform. So, I want to be very clear that we do our due diligence ourselves uh, through our team. And then when it's launched on the platform, these are all curated uh, opportunities that are not just, you know, random or at least affected. They are, um, they have done all they can and been very compliance focused on making sure that they, they follow all the SEC and FINRA regulations. So um, this is something where I, I think I'm very um, proud of is that we are introducing a compliant avenue to many of these underrepresented uh, investors, sorry, underrepresented founders that I think uh, is, is just one of the many uh, stories I'd like to see. Well, it's also introducing an avenue to underrepresented investors. Like you started to say, I mean, it's, it's not lost on me. The fact that there's so many products that uh, when you're, you're a, a black or brown entrepreneur who's pitching to a room full of 10, 40, 50, 60 year old white guys who doesn't see the world through the same lens as, as you do, the product or service that you're pitching sometimes just comes off as to them something nobody needs. And it's because it's outside of the scope of what they do on a regular basis. I'm thinking about... Uh, What's his name? Uh, uh, Tristan Walker with Bevel, right? When when I listened to interviews of him talking about the early days of trying to get venture funding, and he's like, I'm pitching to a room full of only white guys who all tell me uh, shaving for guys with coarse hair is not really that big enough of an issue for us to need to put money behind this. And if you just think about the fact that the majority of the world are brown people who have coarse hair, then yes, there is actually a much bigger opportunity than you think of. But because VC is dominated by such a homogenous group that it really takes people from outside of the majority to be able to even see the potential for some opportunities. And so it does definitely open up opportunities for investors uh, as well to make sure that those two uh, are coming into coming into sync. Yeah, I, I'd say that was a similar story I heard from um, Demented uh, founders. They created lipsticks for mm-hmm. folks with melanin, and many of the VCs they pitched were men, and they were always saying, "Oh, let me let me take this to my wife. Let me see what she says." And yeah. 
I that is something where it's it's frustrating because uh, I use their products, uh, lipstick for um, folks with um, you know from darker skin tones should have access to um, these really great high quality products that work for them, and yet a lot of these things were not as, as fundable in the VC um, in the standard VC's eyes. So let's talk about your work with VC Familia. Uh, can you tell us what the organization does and why you decided to help create it? Yes. So this actually ties in very nicely with what you mentioned around underrepresented investors. We always talk, uh, especially in the media and social socials, the fact that there is this quote-unquote pipeline problem and underrepresented founders don't get the capital that they need to thrive. At the same time, this problem reverberates all the way up through the capital stack uh, to the people who are funding these startups. And we know at this point that diverse investors invest in diverse founders. And so I wanted to start building community around underrepresented investors that could potentially help co-invest and bring more funding to underrepresented founders. So that's why um, in January of 2021, a couple of us uh, just launched VC Familia, which we wanted to, you know, band together as Latinos. We wanted to normalize the Latinx experience in the venture capital space. We wanted to, quite frankly, build an authentic and inclusive uh, organization that could really help and change, quite frankly, how uh, venture capital operates and show that we're here. Because if people don't realize that there are Linux investors, if they think that we do not have a voice, uh, then the way that we see venture won't change. And I, one of our models is La Unión de la Fuerza, you know, power in numbers. And so by banding together and showing that there's even there's 250 Latino VCs, which by the way, surprises everyone. <laughs> like if, if you ask any VC time. with, <laughs> with um, you know, to, to name five or 10, uh, I think they'd be hard pressed, but we've been able to find 250 and, and that continues to grow because of how inclusive the community is and how it has spread through word of mouth. So when a couple of really great things that I'm very proud of from this community is one we've been able to do co-investments with each other a couple of um a couple of investors were able to get into top tier deals because of our deal flow circles that we hold once a uh, month we've been able to properly celebrate hispanic heritage month with a pitch competition for latino founders with eight different dinners across the world with uh, a podcast that highlights our stories as Latinx investors and so much more. And so I think the network effects uh, that have also come from it really include uh, 10 million raised for emerging fund managers. So those that are, you know, are building their own firms. And uh, I think that's incredibly exciting because it really does speak to the fact that now if we have more Lanex check writers that we hope that more Lanex founders get funded. So uh, we are excited to be 
continuing this uh, mission and we have a couple of really exciting news coming up uh, with some of our partners that uh, have come in to to support both investors and founders and so um, you'll be hearing about th- those types of news shortly well that sounds like a, a lot like for t- two things <laughs> one um you just mentioned the numbers 250 already like that momentum seems to be growing pretty fast like like you alluded to is there a numerical goal for you as in like number of members or are you solely focused on in individual outcomes like the 10 million dollars that you just mentioned that you've helped to raise for uh emerging uh vcs there is no target number i'd say that we want every single community member to be active and involved and mission aligned. And so the power of the community comes from folks that are um, all valuing and focusing on the same goal. That's where I think um, it's important, particularly to nurture that community because from 2018 to 2021, the amount of Latinx investors actually went down in this space from, I think, 5% to 4%. Um, and most of them are men versus women. Uh, but at the same time, uh, we want to make sure that we are creating that sense of belonging so that folks not only enter the space, but also stay in the space. And they rise up from junior ranks all the way up to senior. And that only comes when the community is strong and when people want to make sure that they're giving back. Um, there's career and professional development that, you know, people have mentors in the space. They find folks that look like them that have done it. And I think that's what VC Familia really um, is excelling. Oh, or, sorry, what VC Familia has done. Let's stay there for a second, because you mentioned that stat a couple of times, and I want to make sure that we actually address it, because you guys, along with five other Latinx organizations, released a joint statement recently pointing out the fact that Latinx representation in startups declined, like you just mentioned, over the last couple of years. The numbers were already so low, though. I'm curious, like, how is that even possible that it would have declined in that time? So let me let me clarify two things. The five percent to four percent stat was around Latinx investors in the space, which has to do with mm, okay. uh, the sector, the VC sector growing significantly, and yet Latinos are not. Uh, sorry, Latinos are not catching up with the pace, um, or they're not given the opportunities to break into VC that will allow them to stay at that five percent number. So that's one. And then on the other side, the statement that we released was, yes, with five other um, organizations, including USHCC, United States Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, uh, that really showcases how Latinx founders in the US have gotten less and less funding from 1.5% to 1.2%, which could really be, quite frankly, a statistical error or something. Like, it's so small that, like, these, like, it just, it's quite frankly disgraceful and something that we have to really take action for at this point because otherwise it like no one's coming to save us so we have to make sure we're banding together to make sure that that we make that change and i i read a stat back in january of this year and i assume it's the same stat that you were alluding to that uh black and latinx women combined didn't even receive one half of one percent of vc funding dollars back in 
2020. I haven't seen the 2021 numbers just yet, but I'm quite sure it's not much. Better, <laughs> yeah, right? it's. Uh, I mean, out of the two percent that women uh, receive for funding, I'd say yeah, less than one percent are those that are uh, black or Latinx for sure. And so I, I stuck there, and I keep pointing this out because I think it gets to the bigger mission and the bigger vision that you were starting down uh, that path a little bit earlier in this conversation, which is that the folks who have the ability to write the check are the ones that are ultimately going to make the fastest and the biggest impact on these numbers that we keep quoting. So having folks at the partner level inside of a VC organization who have the ability to write a check, that's one huge tidal wave shifting like uh, momentum shifter, if you will. And then also, as we really started off this whole thing talking about from like a reg CF investment perspective, having the people be able to vote with their dollars for whether they want to see that product or service come out into the marketplace uh, or not, that also is going to shift those numbers more than any other mission statement or any other like corporate impact uh uh, attempt or whatever. It just seems to me like getting dollars in the hands of the people who have the ability to write the checks, who are also in the same friend groups and, and social circles as the people who you want to ultimately receive those checks. That is one obvious way to do it. And then also allowing the people direct access to vote with their, their checkbooks. Like those are the two things that I see as the way to change those numbers. Uh, absolutely. Uh, we, we see that there are a lot of firms, especially after George Floyd and, and you know, just folks calling out how homogenous VC firms are. Um, we, we see VC firms hiring diverse folks, but at the very junior level. And so to your point around, we need you know, check writers, folks that have influence in these firms to really make a change as to who gets funded. Um, I think a lot of our 250 that we have right now in VC for Media skew young. And that's why I put that emphasis on career and professional development so that they could have mentors that look like them, that I've gone through similar experiences and that can give them good advice for, you know, rising up the ranks and then becoming a check writer, I think is incredibly important and, and underlines why we started VC for Media. In the first what has been the response since you guys started from the VC community as a whole, right? Any of the bigger, I hate to use this phrase, but brand name, for lack of a better way to say it, better capitalized firms. That's probably the better way to say it. Um, any of the better capitalized firms calling you guys up and volunteering to lend their support? Yeah, actually, it, it's been a very positive experience. Folks knew that there was this white space in this ecosystem, and uh, we've been able to build this community uh, piece by piece to the point where we show that solidarity and being an inclusive community is actually winning strategy. So that was one is that we're not just you know here, but we're also changing how uh, we can all collaborate. And so we've been partnering with Black VC, HBCU VC, All Rays, uh, several others, uh, several other affinity groups that uh, understand why we do what we do. And at the same time, we have uh, several VC firms, uh, including Google Ventures, uh, that has come in to partner with us, both in uh, you know breaking to VC opportunities and, and events that we're uh, building out, as well as uh, supporting for Hispanic Heritage Month. We also had Samsung Next sponsor a 25K pitch competition that we did, uh, and Barry, founder of Lightspeed, 
and a couple other uh, judges were, were there. And so they're really lending their brand, um, their dollars, and also their their knowledge and, and network to really help support some of the programs that we, that we uh, do. So what ultimately does success look like for you in this role? If you look out five or 10 years from now, what would you like to see happen in the world of VC and maybe tech more broadly uh, from your perspective? Uh, I'll tackle this from both the VC Familia side and then the Republic side. It, for success in VC Familia, in five, ten years, uh, I should not be running this, <laughs> first of all. <laughs> uh, in, in two years, I should not be running this. I think this uh, really comes down to a system where we have our initiatives committee, folks that are a little bit junior to the board, and they are able in one to two years to rise up and lead this organization in different ways. And I think that's democratic. That's the way it should be run. And they can take it to new heights, especially given how the world of VC changes every day. And so uh, making sure that we stay focused on our mission and have new voices in leadership, I think would be incredibly important. And so that also includes finding more folks to join our community, um, potentially uh, getting more partners that will fund some of the ideas that we have. We're actually building out a founder community led by founders as well. Um, that's the only sneak peek I'll give you. Um, but, that <laughs> will, but that will tie in with our overarching uh, Familia brand, which I think uh, is really powerful. And so that is something where we see, you know, us having new leadership, having great partners that are mission aligned and really seeing tangible results from from all the activities that we have. So that's on the VC Familia side. On the Republic side, I'm so excited that we have um, grown to the size that we have because more folks see us as a, a great funding source, one that is all about community. And so if I, in five to 10 years, I'd love to see uh, Republic truly mainstream or anyone, you know, down the street knows exactly what it is that they can invest in a company through Apple Pay, through our app, that they understand how um, tech and private companies play a role into what then goes into the public markets and that they have a voice. So I want us to make sure that we're continuing to be accepted in the space and that we uh, really achieve mainstream adoption. Uh, well, so my last question um, is sort of a, a overarching one, I guess, but uh, a little bit less uh, direct about either of your roles, but you've you've been in finance for some time now, private equity in addition to venture capital, from what I understand. And I have to imagine it's not uncommon for you to be the only in the room quite often, which I know from personal experience is never all that fun. What is it about this work that makes it worth continuing to push through for you? Sorry, as you rightly pointed out, it's, it's quite frankly, um, unnerving sometimes that I end up being the only one in the room, whether it's the only woman, the only Latina. Uh, and yet it's really about, I think life quite frankly is leaning, leaning into your strengths, leaning into what you're passionate about and making sure that you use your access, your network, everything in your wheelhouse 
to make the world better and give access to others and really, you know, make the table bigger for anybody that's not at the table to invite them to make them feel a sense of belonging that we are, we're here. So for me, I took finance on one because I studied economics and I was pretty good at math. I was understood that power comes also from the flow of capital and also is an applicable lens to anything around the world, whether it's through history, culture, um, et cetera. And so I knew going into finance that I could leverage my skill set to that. I w- would be able to form and help change how it's done because I would have a different perspective from others. And, and I, quite frankly, three, uh, I went into finance tech, right? FinTech at the Republic, because at the end of the day, I had a very entrepreneurial spirit. And I think uh, leaning into that and taking a risk, which by the way, was quite frankly, the first and only risk that I had taken in my life to that point. I feel like, um, you know, it was definitely off the beaten path for me. Uh, but I knew that with, you know, my myriad of experiences in the past that I could, I could bring, um, and Republic and, and, bring a lot to Republic and, and help it come to life. Uh, so that's where I kind of see my role in this space is more just leaning to my strengths, making sure that uh, I'm actively changing how the game is played and that we make sure we make room for others uh, to also continue to, to evolve the space further. Yeah. Well, that all, uh, Sounds good to me. It, it it definitely takes a few people who are willing to be uncomfortable uh, to make the table bigger, uh, as you said. So I can completely appreciate that one. Um, well, thanks, Cheryl. I, I appreciate you coming and doing this. Uh, this was great. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about you and or uh, any of the organizations you're affiliated with after this goes live? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at Model VC or uh, Familia VC. Uh, we actually post a lot of VC opportunities as well. If you're interested in joining VC uh, through that Twitter account, um, we know about like three or four folks that have directly, actually five folks that have directly or indirectly gotten jobs through VC Fund Media and that Twitter account. So that's been really exciting. Um, yeah, you can't apply to jobs you don't know about, right? So we want to make sure that we are making the, the space a little bit more transparent. Uh, and then you can also find me on LinkedIn. Um, feel free to shoot me a note. Tell me you saw, you know, heard of the podcast and, uh, you know, I'll make sure that we can connect. You also mentioned there's a VC Familia uh, podcast. What's the name of it? Oh, that uh, great question. We actually did it in partnership with uh, Latinx America, which is another podcast. And so it was uh, for Hispanic Heritage Month. So if you look up Latinx America, uh, they will have all of the podcast episodes from about 30 of our members. Well, on that note, Eric with an A, why don't you go ahead and close us out, sir? All right, Cheryl and Malcolm, thank you so much. Cheryl, I want to personally thank you, uh, full disclosure here, as a white male married to a strong Latina woman and a father of a strong Latina woman. I want to thank you for everything you're doing. Um, I don't think enough people use the power of themselves where they're at in the moment to better other people's lives. And that's exactly what you're doing. So thank you so much for doing that. And thank you for being on the show. And of course, Malcolm, thank you for bringing her on the show. And our last thank you always goes to you listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the tech money podcast with Malcolm Etheridge. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Malcolm comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. 
we humbly ask that you share this podcast and leave a review as it'll help others find the show. You can connect with Malcolm on social at Malcolm on Money. We'd love to hear from you and answer any questions you have, and you can do so by emailing them to podcast at techmoney.com. Thanks again for listening today. For everyone at Tech Money, our hope is that this show helps make you a little smarter about your money. This has been the Tech Money Podcast. For more information on today's topic, to review the show notes, or to catch up on past episodes, be sure to check out malcolmetheridge.com slash podcast. And if you have an idea for a show topic that you'd like us to cover, or you want to send us feedback, the web address again is malcolmetheridge.com. You can also find Malcolm across all social media platforms at Malcolm on Money. This episode was written and created by Malcolm Etheridge, with the production, the editing and sound controls powered by Proudmouth. This has been a Malcolm on Money original. Thank you for listening. The information shared in this recording and by its guests represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not represent the views or opinions of the host. This content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This content is not, nor is it intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. It is always recommended that you seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your personal financial situation. This episode of the Tech Money Podcast is sponsored by Capital Area Tax Consultants. Capital Area Tax Consultants is a virtual tax and accounting firm that specializes in helping high net worth individuals navigate the complexities of the tax code. With our comprehensive tax planning services, our one goal is to help clients maximize savings and minimize their tax liability each year. Our team of certified public accountants and enrolled agents is well-versed in the latest tax laws, ensuring that you capitalize on every opportunity for strategic tax optimization. We anticipate changes and keep you up to date on opportunities to potentially reduce your tax bill in the future. With a focus on precision and strategic planning, we are your trusted partner both during tax season and throughout the year. So don't wait. Reach out to us today to experience a better approach to taxes at www.capgllc.com. Again, that web address is www.capgllc.com.